Welcome to another episode of The Builder's Diary from Cloud on Out. So my name is Andreas and The Builder's Diary is here to get insights into day-to-day -day challenges of builders. Today I'm very excited to introduce Rico Nugit to the show. He started his career as an IT consultant at IBM and then co-founded a startup, startup Tandemploy, where he built a cloud-based HR software focusing on flexible working models. And then about two years ago, he joined Demican as the business unit lead and principal cloud solution architect. And this is basically where he got into all things AWS. So Rico, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andreas, for having me. It's a great opportunity to talk here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. So we have to reveal the topic <laughs> for this episode. So this is infrastructure pipelines with GitLab and Terraform Cloud. So we will really dive into the details and, and how you do that in your day-to-day -day work with your consulting clients and talk about all the technical aspects of Terraform, Terraform Cloud, and how to basically build an infrastructure pipeline with that. But before we go into that, I'm interested in your background a little more. So I already uh, introduced you, but um, the question I have is, so how did you get into all things AWS? Because I know you started at IBM, then you built uh, basically um, a cloud-based HR software, but uh, how did you really get into all those AWS details? Um, yeah, so as mentioned, um, I really started um, early on in the career working uh, with cloud um, models and uh, building up cloud systems and uh, yeah, uh, going through the different vendors. Um, for me, it was always important to see different aspects of different clouds and learn uh, more about um, the specifics about, uh, 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 yeah, for example, AWS or Azure. And um, yeah, from where I started, um, I transitioned into uh, first using a lot of Azure after my time at IBM. And then um, it was just a natural step to me uh, to also um, get um, more working experience in AWS, because especially in the startup scene, you see a lot of AWS used. And um, I was just um, very curious about um, what it's all about and uh, how you can really uh, use it in real life. Okay, so basically with every career step, so you started with IBM Cloud, then got into Azure, and now at Demican you're really diving into AWS, yeah. so you have now three clouds on your list, that's, that's really cool. And one thing I noticed uh, right away when um, getting into contact with Demican is that you're really a remote first company. So maybe can you share some uh, insights into your day-to-day -day work? So how does it work to work remotely with other teams? So with your colleagues at Demican, but also with your consulting clients? Um, so yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, being a, a remote first company for us means not that we are never uh, meeting in real life, but uh, having the flexibility to work from wherever we want. Uh, at, uh, uh, if that works in, for example, customer situations, or um, yeah, if if it's uh, really um, yeah beneficial to um, the situation, the uh, project, and I think where it really helps is to have focus time. So I think one of the biggest uh, parts um, why I enjoy um, also working at home is that I can really uh, schedule and uh, organize my working day a lot better. 
But then with, um, yeah, closely working together with colleagues um, in a, on a very specific topic, it's sometimes also really good um, to meet in person. And I think uh, that's where, um, yeah, the word hybrid often comes into play, um, where um, we at Demicon, we are um, looking into um, work together weeks or uh, different um, uh, um, working situations where we meet as a team. So depending on the project needs and depending on also the uh, needs of the um, of, of the people um, within the project, um, we make it happen also that we meet in uh, certain locations around Germany. Yeah, very interesting. So, so I remember, so I've been doing a lot of consulting work maybe four, four years ago um, and Back then, it was quite common that you had to travel to the customer, yeah. the, the, the consulting clients on site. I spent a lot of time in hotels and stuff. Yep, me too. So I think <laughs> um, being able to do most of that remotely and only meet with the customer yeah. or your colleagues when it really is necessary seems to be a big benefit. Um, for the whole consulting game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not looking uh, backward to my time when I had to live <laughs> uh, most of my time in hotels. Uh, so uh, I think it was an interesting time, but I don't need it again, uh, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun and exciting yeah. at the beginning, yes. but then <laughs> you're getting used to yes. it and it gets very <laughs> lonely and boring. <laughs> definitely true. <laughs> okay, then back to our, our topic. So after um, we introduced a little bit and um, talked about Demicon and how it uh, is working there as a consultant. So back to our topic, which is infrastructure pipelines with GitLab and Terraform Cloud. So the first question um, I have, so I'm a big fan of infrastructure as code as well, um, but um, maybe um, the question that comes up for me is um, why building an infrastructure pipeline. So why not just using your infrastructure code and applying that manually? What do you think are the most important reasons to yeah. automate that with a pipeline? Yeah, I think um, like a lot of people when they're starting working with infrastructure as code, um, start uh, to deploy um, their code manually from uh, their machines. And it, I think it's totally viable for um, smaller use cases. And if you uh, that doesn't have a really uh, a huge team behind you, um, but I think, yeah, especially when uh, the team grows and more and more people make changes on um, the infrastructure, um, it's getting more and more harder uh, to maintain uh, the uh, manual deployment and also the error factors uh, get bigger and bigger. And uh, that's, I think, um, the time where we talk with most clients um, about uh, infrastructure as code pipelines as well. Because, yeah, at a certain degree of a product or a project, um, also governance uh, gets a lot more more um, important security topics uh, arise and all this is um, something which uh, in uh, um, yeah when you deploy locally is really hard uh, to achieve and I think that's really uh, um, yeah the most talking points we uh, hear from our customers um, definitely security governance but then also um, team collaboration I think uh, is there at the, at the top yes as soon as more than one person is editing the infrastructure yeah. as code it makes a lot of sense to have a pipeline in place. So I remember things like having different Terraform versions on your machine and, yeah. uh, I don't know, not being able to connect to the uh, S3 bucket and stuff. So um, it really gets complicated to do that from your own machine. And typically, you're not able to deploy to another infrastructure when someone is, I don't know, uh, on vacation yeah. or something because you're not getting the whole thing up and running and there a pipeline really helps. So when, when, yeah, when working on something with more than one person, 
Can you talk me through the different components a little bit? So how does, how does all those things work together? Terraform, GitLab, so how do you make a pipeline out of that? Yeah, so um, basically it all starts um, with a commit of a developer and somebody's making a change uh, on Terraform resources. And um, yeah, you need a versioning control system. Uh, so some things uh, it must be there where the code um, is stored um, for um, being deployed. And um, yeah, the first part is a commit and um, then uh, following that a merge request of the developer to, um, for, for example, the main uh, branch. And uh, yeah, with uh, Terraform Cloud, um, you set up uh, a webhook, uh, which is connected uh, to a certain branch in uh, GitLab, for example. And um, yeah, when changes are merged into that branch, the, the pipeline is being triggered and uh, the plan and apply phases of Terraform um, will be run. I think one a really important aspect, which I maybe left out in between, is that with merge requests, you also want to know ahead before you merge what's the actual change you will cause in your uh, live infrastructure. And uh, so that's also um, which a feature which you can enable and should enable in Terraform Cloud that uh, the plans are run ahead of time and uh, give you um, the expected outcome of what the change will look like when you merge actually your, your, uh, your change into the, uh, the main branch. Okay, so basically, um, let me summarize that. So the pipeline consists of a GitLab, which stores the Terraform code. Yep. And um, so you commit to that, you use merge requests and branches and everything. And then you use Terraform Cloud basically to execute um, the Terraform configuration and apply it to your AWS infrastructure. Then my next question, because personally, I have never really used Terraform Cloud. Mm -hmm. So I looked into it a few times in different projects, yeah. but um, I, I either use CloudFormation or when I use Terraform, I'm typically building either GitHub Actions or mm -hmm. um, code pipeline and code build. Yeah. So can you walk, what are, what are the main advantages of using Terraform Cloud? Why are you not just using GitLab, which has something like a, a pipeline as well built in? So what is the, yeah, the, the USP is basically for using Terraform Cloud for you? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it really depends on also your use cases. So I'm not saying that it's uh, the one fits all solution where you can always go ahead and uh, use it. But I think um, one of the um, really big benefits is that you have this observability. So you really can easily check in your different workspaces what kind of resources are uh, actually deployed into the cloud. With that, uh, one of the f uh, things uh, which uh, is tightly attached to that um, observability is also a drift detection feature, which is, was now added uh, to Terraform Cloud. So um, I think yeah, over time, um, uh, yeah, someone might change um, with, uh, with his permissions in AWS Cloud some resources, and you suddenly have a drift in uh, what you are expecting in the cloud and what is actually uh, deployed there. And uh, detecting this drift is, I think, definitely a feature which um, yeah, you can also implement in any uh, CI-CD system, but you, you need to do that implementation work normally. Then I think a second part is uh, that you have a different platform for really um, um, yeah, building uh, out uh, in bigger teams your uh, approval processes. So in some uh, companies, it's really important that uh, certain parts of the infrastructure have uh, different approvals than um, more maybe the application layer where um, yeah, with the infrastructure um, where you are changing network parts, uh, the blast radius of uh, your change can be 
quite devastating and uh, shut down a whole whole AWS environment and nobody can work anymore. So uh, with that, I think that's also a very powerful feature of Terraform Cloud to really bring this um, um, approval process and governance into play. And then a third step is uh, security checks. Um, so there are also open source tools out there where you can uh, like TFSEC or uh, tools like that who check uh, your uh, Terraform code. But uh, yeah, uh, one feature Terraform uh, Cloud also brings uh, with it is uh, Sentinel, Sentinel policies to um, go even deeper into uh, defining your uh, best practices and standards in the cloud. So for bigger teams, um, uh, having that uh, one place where it's really checked, okay, is this uh, uh, adhering to our standards or not is also quite helpful in, uh, in larger projects. Okay, well, that's, that's already quite a lot. And actually it's solving some of the pain points I have. So, um, and I totally agree that having a process in place to um, approve certain deployments to an infrastructure is very helpful. And as, as you said, this is um, a feature built into Terraform Cloud so you can make sure who is able to deploy to which environment. Yep. And I think this is, um, yeah, this is really an important uh, issue. Uh, I also like the, the governance and security features. I have one question about the drift detection. Mm -hmm. So yeah. does it really work? Because I know it from CloudFormation and it's yeah. it's not working at all. Okay. So does the Terraform version of it <laughs> work correctly? <laughs> um, so I, I think that's definitely uh, one of the benefits working in general with Terraform. So if you run Terraform, you see uh, the drift. Uh, there are some parts, mm. obviously, where it's also not working. So I, I'm, uh, I think yeah, mm. it's not perfect yet and maybe will never become perfect, but uh, it's um, definitely helpful in detecting um, yeah, the, the most devastating uh, drifts in, in your infrastructure. Especially um, what, what, what it's not capable of, I think, is having uh, drift detection on assets which um, are changed from multiple in, in multiple places. So for example, a security group, you can add in multiple places some security um, port openings. And uh, that's something which obviously is not really easily detectable because yeah, you just create a security group and then in multiple places you add your um, policies there. Um, but yeah, if mm -hmm. it's really contained in one resource, then uh, definitely it's working, yes. And um, so does it, does the drift detection then, can you configure it to run from time to time? Because basically yep. what you're looking for is, I don't know, a notification that notifies you whenever mm -hmm. there, um, the drift becomes added to the infrastructure. Yeah, so um, in Terraform Cloud, it's uh, configured uh, running uh, nightly. Uh, so it's basically a nightly build, what we mm -hmm. also know from software development. Um, and yeah, that's uh, how uh, they are tackling the problem. This sounds really cool. So using Terraform Cloud, maybe I, maybe I should give it another try and to, to look into it. Um, but, but one question that I have, so, so I'm kind of new to Terraform. So I'm using Terraform for two years yeah. now, I think. I'm getting more and more into it because I'm a little frustrated with the other options <laughs> with CloudFormation <laughs> and, and CK. So, um, so the question I have, um, which I never found a, a very good, or I found some solutions to it, but I'm not yet decided on how to approach that. So how do you, deploy multiple environments with Terraform. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, let's say you have a test environment and a prod environment and you want to use as much code as possible for both environments. So how do you, how is, what's your approach or one of your approaches 
to to use Terraform uh, to deploy to multiple environments? I, I think it's uh, yeah a question anyone has uh, when uh, using Terraform, <laughs> and uh, there is no um, final answer I think to that problem yet. Um, yeah, Terraform in general, I think, is uh, not tackling these problems by themselves. So they want to be unopinionated about how you're managing your environments and you have to find your own solutions for that. And one way we, we found for us uh, working quite well um, is uh, the concept of, uh, I think, uh, yeah, which TerraGrant introduced of uh, live repositories. Um, so we are working with modules, um, which are um, uh, defining the resources uh, you need for a specific solution. This is uh, versioned and um, you have like your uh, version state of um, the specific solution. And then um, in another repo, we are defining um, the different stages and only calling this module uh, to be deployed. So um, basically what we achieve with it is um, having uh, yeah, uh, just as little as possible repeatable code and um, by changing uh, certain variables um, um, defining the differences in the dif uh, different stages so uh, we are working a lot with locals um, there uh, terraform locals which uh, yeah they are a lighter approach than uh, using variables for everything um, variables are great if you uh, want to uh, work on a module and want reusability because it gives you also the documentation feature out of the box. But yeah, if you want to work in a live repo, you are normally not really redefining anything, but you're changing just what you already know. And so for live repos, I uh, don't find variables quite uh, useful. Uh, and locals are much more lightweight and dynamic uh, in that sense to be changed uh, throughout uh, the different stages. So let me let me try to summarize uh, what you said to, in my own words, if I understood everything correctly. So so first of all, your approach is to work with Git, um, Terraform modules, which means you try to encapsulate certain functionalities into modules, and those are um, their own repositories, and you basically reference those, and they get loaded um, um, from the other repository, which is called a live repository, yeah. which more or less contains the configuration for a certain environment or certain environments. It basically only loads all those modules together and hands over the parameters, the variables to each of those modules. And and then uh, I think one, one thing I did not yet understand fully is the locals. Mm -hmm. So locals, is this something like a configuration file with parameters or how, what, what, um, what do I need to have? So it, yeah, in Terraform, locals is really just a way of configuring uh, variables. Um, so uh, compared uh. to variables in Terraform, you cannot change them from the outside, but a live repository, you anyway don't want to change from the outside. And locals uh, are really okay. something which is local to that specific uh, Terraform code. And um, yeah, they don't have the same traits as variables where you need to define description or where you can define description and all that. But it's uh, yeah more a dynamic way of uh, working. Okay. And then uh, the other question I have is, so you mentioned TerraGrant. Mm -hmm. um, so where you basically got the idea uh, of using or using a, same pro a similar approach. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently, uh, I currently introduced TerraGrant yeah. to one of my consulting projects and I found it quite interesting, the approach. So for me, TerraGrant solved basically two issues. So one is the yeah, putting together all those modules with the configuration and variables. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I really was excited about is that TerraGrant automatically creates um, the um, state 
um, S3 bucket yeah. and DynamoDB table for me out of the box. This was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, what is so, so you said you're not mostly, most often not using TerraCrunch. So, what is your pros and cons for using TerraCrunch? Mm -hmm. What's your uh, experience with that? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, when working again uh, with smaller teams, um, it's and uh, yeah, co collaborating on a mono repo, you need to really understand uh, what it means to work with a mono repo. And I think especially governance uh, features, so um, having really good um, merge um, rules in place is something very difficult uh, in, in mono repos. And um, then the other part is having really responsibility about uh, different parts of the TerraGrant Terra um, repository, something which is quite um, yeah, uh, hard to manage uh, at times. And I think, and what, what, I, what I see in the industry is that Google, I think is one of the biggest promoter of mono repos has a big team behind it and its own tool how to uh, work with monorepos. And uh, normally, for me, at, as far as I understand, Git is not really built um, with that intention in mind. So there are, that's kind of um, definitely um, one downside um, I see uh, from the approach, approach Terragrant is, uh, is, is taking. What is really a frustrating feature sometimes in, in Terraform, on, on the other hand, is um, that mo modules, uh, module versions you cannot um, uh, dynamically define. So you have to hard code always the version number in Terraform. Mm -hmm. And that's the feature which Terragram brings to you with its scripting uh, approach where it just replaces um, those uh, version numbers. And yeah, that's something mm -hmm. um, uh, which is really helpful with Terragram um, that you really can define dynamically your versions. Um, and mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with, um, with working with one to five people, I think TerraGrant has really some great benefits um, where um, you have really that overview in one place um, about all your components. But then with larger teams, you don't necessarily need that anymore because the teams anyway have their responsibilities. And then um, step by step, the um, the benefits get less and less. And I, I'm also not a mm -hmm. huge fan of the dependency um, feature. You don't have to necessarily use mm -hmm. it, but it makes mm -hmm. um, yeah work quite slow and very uh, fragile. Um, um, it makes it harder to refactor later on. And um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, something which uh, tightly couples uh, your different uh, states together. And uh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. uh, quite uh, complex sometimes. Ah uh, yeah. So yeah, that was my feeling already as well. So so my project is relatively small mm -hmm. at the moment. So I think I have about ten different Terraform modules that I need to glue together with Terragrant. But already those dependency, um, the way the dependency management works with Terragrant, feels a little, yeah. <laughs> little complicated <laughs> to me already. So I can, <laughs> I can see that this gets more, um, more of a problem when when the complexity yeah. and the number of modules grows. Okay, but but def so so in summary. You say that TerraGrant is maybe fine for smaller projects with, I don't know, a bunch of people working on it, but when it gets more complex and you're working with more people on it, it's, it's, it might be a better approach to, to use some of the, basically some of the principles, but, um, but build them with uh, Terraform native tools, basically. Um, so yeah. that's your, your, your take on that. Okay. And yeah, Terragram, okay. bringing Terragram into the CI CD system, I think is also very uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. with that, you need also a lot of implementation work to get Terragram into a CI CD approach. 
uh, if you're not really strict with um, yeah running Terra Grunt apply all uh, kind of uh, that approach yeah. Okay, so so I have one more pain point mm -hmm. <laughs> with Terraform Cloud. Um, so so I, I told you that I looked into Terraform Cloud yeah, sure. uh, multiple times. So I think the last time was about three months ago. So basically, before I decided to use TerraGrunt, I looked into Terraform Cloud to see whether this solves some of my issues that I had in the project. And the one thing I noticed, or I couldn't find a very good solution, is so Terraform Cloud. I could not really find a good solution for my AWS credentials. So, because to deploy to different AWS accounts, I need to have my credentials in place. And what I don't want to do, and even not allowed to do in this environment, is to create IAM users uh, with static credentials. So, I was looking for ways to basically use an IAM role um, and similar approach. So. Uh, I know from GitHub Actions that they have this OpenID Connect providers or basically yeah, they connect with AWS over OpenID Connect. So I was wondering um, how to do the same with Terraform Cloud and I really could not find a, a cool solution that was working yeah. out of the box. So um, what are your approaches for um, using AWS credentials to deploy from Terraform Cloud? I think one way that I found is you can use... Um, um, Vault, HashiCorp's Vault product for that. That's that's maybe one idea, but yeah, I'm not. I was not too convinced about that as yeah. well. So maybe yeah. What's a, what's your take on all those AWS credentials with Terraform Cloud? Yeah, so um, I think uh, it, it's not. Also, it's a feature which is at the moment um, also uh, widely discussed. Um, in general, I, I would agree that um, yeah, as a best mm -hmm. practice, um, there should be a workflow with short-lived credentials, um, uh, and uh, the roles which are attached to a specific um, Terraform apply and plan phase should be tightly uh, scoped. So a lot of uh, projects I've worked on uh, normally, uh, yeah, the projects start with an admin role kind of and uh, put it on uh, the Terraform cloud. And then, yeah, the govern governance part and security part is really not worth a lot anymore. And um, so somehow we need to establish um, with a certain workspace or with a certain uh, state um, an identity. And so that... Um, AWS knows, okay, this is the uh, specific state which is calling me now and which needs uh, the right credentials for that specific time to um, plan and apply uh, the changes uh, which are intended to be be um, rolled out into the specific environment. And um, yeah, with that, I think the one um, way which is uh, a lot described in uh, Terraform Cloud is to build uh, your own uh, API-driven workflow. Um, so you have a full API behind Terraform Cloud, then you can use, for example, GitLab OIDC feature or the GitHub Actions OIDC feature to get the short-lived credentials and inject it into the pipeline at runtime. Um, also quite a um, yeah hard way to do it. Um, okay. You have to also, again, to implement quite a lot. And uh, yeah, recently uh, we worked together with HashiCorp in a project um, where um, yeah, we had uh, first insights into um, also an OIDC-driven um, workflow uh, within Terraform Cloud, uh, where um, yeah, it's uh, possible to um, actually um, get uh, short-lived credentials from uh, the workflow identity, um, which is established with uh, AWS. And uh, that's a feature I think a lot more will come in the future from HashiCorp. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, for now, it was used in one project. So, okay, so let, let me try to recap that. So 
So the first approach that you had is um, you're basically using the API of Terraform Cloud. And um, as GitLab comes with an OpenID Connect integration, you could use that to um, obtain temporary credentials for AWS. And then you use the Terraform Cloud API to hand those over to Terraform Cloud. And then you could basically there run your Terraform apply or Terraform plan with those credentials. Is that correct? Yeah. Ah, okay. Cool. And then, and then the other thing that you talked about is that also Terraf or HashiCorp is working on a feature. And so you are in contact, you have been in contact with them for a project and have already been using that a little bit. Um, so there is something upcoming and um, that solves that issue yeah. uh, with, or basically uh, comes with the feature for OpenID Connect in the future. Yes, and I think that's definitely a great feature, and I'm very excited about uh, that that part because, um, yeah, it's always in a lot of projects I've worked on the question how really to solve this problem, and uh, there are not a lot of great answers out there yet, and I'm really looking forward that we have mm -hmm. more clarity on that, and um, yeah, because it's mm -hmm. quite an important part of a good CI/CD process, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So. So actually, I can what I what we have always been doing. We we were big or not really big fans, but we have we have been using code pipeline and code build a lot, yeah. because this uh, really came out of the box with an IAM integration. You could yeah. easily assume an IAM role doing that pipelines, and and this was in my opinion a very important part of the of the deployment or delivery pipeline. And since GitHub Actions now comes with that OpenID Connect integration, I think. Uh, this was really um, the showstopper for for GitHub Actions, and now that that this is solved, it's really um, a good, a, a really cool alternative to use GitHub Actions. And nowadays, we are migrating and building more and more of our pipelines with GitHub Actions. Mm -hmm. So I think this is really a crucial feature for all kinds of um, continuous integration, continuous deployment tools to come with that uh, OpenID Connect uh, integration, because that's really I think it's it's even really easy to set up because you you don't need to configure too much. So you configure the OpenID Connect provider for AWS, uh, an IAM role, and that's basically more or less it. So at least that's for yeah. what I know from GitHub. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's really cool um, to have that feature in the future for Terraform Cloud as well. Um, so I want to come back to one other aspect that you talked before. So you mentioned that you use the approach that you have uh, one repository with um, the configuration for the different environments, and then you use Terraform modules. And um, so basically you you have um, different modules. Maybe we should talk about what kind of modules you use or what, what's mm -hmm. a typical model look like. And you're storing that in another um, GitLab repository. So maybe the first question, so what does a typical module look like? So how do you, because for me, it's sometimes quite um, hard to decide on how how big <laughs> or how large the scope yeah. of a module be. So what do you put into a module? Should that be two or three modules, stuff like that? So, mm -hmm. so could you um, maybe share, so what does a typical GitLab module that you're using look like or what do you include in such a module? Yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of um, yeah, design thinking and uh, really looking at what you want to achieve. And um, packaging a full solution, I think, is something uh, we as um, uh, DevOps engineers uh, can really achieve. And um, so for me, um, thinking as the second part is thinking about um, 
the layers of your application, the architecture behind this application, and how long a certain part of the application needs to live. So for example, persistent storage is always something which normally should survive any uh, deletion of the application. And so maybe it's part of a different, uh, of a different state in the end. So, and uh, yeah, structuring your code around um, the uh, one side layers of your application, but then also um, building out full solution, I think is the two things I always keep in mind when designing um, modules. And yeah, I think uh, sometimes you have to think about also cross account functionality and some people say, okay, um, we uh, structure per account and then we have um, states which only um, can change uh, this account uh, as um, files or um, resources. And with that come some difficulties in my experience where um, you, for example, for resource sharing, you need to get an approval from the other accounts. So you have a, a chain of order in which you need to um, execute Terraform or the different states. Mm -hmm. And that makes it quite complex. So mm -hmm. I like to go more into this is a full solution, uh, having access to multiple accounts. Um, it gives me more um, op or need, gives more a necessity to build out good roles and good practices in uh, scoping what uh, kind of access this role has in different accounts. But uh, then long term, you really uh, benefit from this very easy uh, rollout process where you don't have to, where human error is not such a big factor anymore. So, so I, have an, I have an example on that that I've been working on recently. So, so one of the things that I tried to accomplish was I wanted to enable security hub and guard duty yeah. in the accounts of the organization. You might have <laughs> heard about that issue before. Yeah. And, and my problem was maybe a little more difficult than it needs to be because uh, for certain reasons that I don't want to talk about <laughs> at all, um, we were not able to use that. I think there are those new features to invite the whole organization or a whole organization unit um, we couldn't use that. So basically what we needed to do is we need to add each individual account to Security Hub and to Guard Duty manually. Mm -hmm. So establish that connection, basically the old way. And, yeah. and, and, and what I've been doing there, so basically I, I, I started with the same. So you basically you say in, in that scenario, so basically you have to configure Security Hub in your main security account and then you have to basically enable and link every member account to that. So you are arguing that in that case, that this might be a good uh, or a good approach might be to have one module that tackles all of that, but then needs, of course, um, different credentials for assuming each and every AWS account. Did I get that yeah. correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because, because I have taken the other, par uh, the other path. <laughs> so I have uh, one module that handles the, the main security account and yeah. then a module for each. And, and actually, I'm, I'm running into that issue that it... Um, to, to deploy that, I need to know that first I need to roll out that module and then I need to roll out those other modules. So there's yeah. some yeah, invisible basically uh, dependency between those modules that then I need to document and make sure in the pipeline that it runs in the right order. So there's yeah. definitely, um, I definitely understand your argument um, but this should maybe be one yeah. module for all those accounts. Yeah, okay. And we have definitely um, also used that approach in different projects. So um, we have yeah. also, can also speak from experience that it's quite natural to use <laughs> it. 
But yeah, yeah then I think sometimes uh, when revisiting your solution, you think about it, maybe I can do it better. And I think that's really important in our line of business mm. to reevaluate what we're doing. Um, there are not like um, always the best solutions out there and um, we constantly change. And so that's, I think, one of the most interesting parts about our job uh, to actually. That's true. <laughs> that's true. And on the other hand, I think each and every, so either option that you take has some downs and some pros and cons. So I think that's always, you yeah. can, so if you have a, a module covering uh, a large scope, you're running into other issues than if you reuse multiple yeah. smaller modules. So there's no perfect way to do it. There's just different <laughs> pros yeah. and cons and you have basically to decide on which pros and cons fit best for the scenario that you're working on or the, the overall thing. Um, so one, one question that, um, that, that comes to my mind um, when talking about those modules. So Demicon is a consult, it's, it's doing AWS consulting. So you have different um, clients with different needs. So do you, do you try to build modules that you can use for all your con consulting clients? Or is that something you really tailor to the needs of every customer? Or is it a mix of both? Or how do you approach that basically? Yeah, yeah I think... Um If it would be just one library um, where which we can use for every client, um, the consulting part would be very small. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's uh, every organization is very different in their needs. And in I think in modules you can really also um, mirror the organizational structure because uh, technology uh, solution, in my opinion, should always also um, uh, be tailored around organizational structures because otherwise they cannot really be used in that kind of organization and that plays a lot a big role in uh, our approaches on how um, we are um, yeah uh, working with the customer together on solutions um, which fit really their needs so we have a basic uh, module library where some groundwork is already be done and it's more like this in german you call it baukasten system so modular blocks um, which you uh, put together, piece together, and have in the end a very tailored solution to the customer's problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so that is. So we have been doing similar thing with cloud formation templates uh, mm -hmm. in the past. So we build um, a library of cloud formation templates, stuff like setting up a VPC or um, I don't know, spinning up an RDS database pre-configured. Uh, or even some more complex stuff, maybe static web hosting with CloudFront industry and stuff like that. Um, and um, when we have been doing consulting uh, work, we use those templates basically for the foundational work. So most often we could just use those templates to, to yeah. get the basic um, the th infrastructure done. And then, um, then there was, I don't know, 20% left, which needs to be then tailored to the really needs of the specific customer and the circumstances there. I think that that works very well as at least for smaller companies that 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 are fine with just following your approach. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, with when working with larger enterprise customers, we are most often not able to use those templates because yeah. they have so specific needs for networking. They have very specific um, opinions on security stuff. Very specific company uh, rules. For, I don't know for encryption or something like that. So. Um, then it, it gets very difficult to, to reuse those modules. Um, at, or we have yeah, we then tailor those basically to the needs of our um, clients. And I think that's what you are saying as well. So you try to reuse the modules where you can because basically as a, as a consultant, 
this brings in a lot of value. If you have, I don't know, 20 or 50% already done with your modules that you bring with you, that is, of course, um, a reason to hire you for the job, right? But then yeah. on the other side, you need to tailor that to the needs um, and have in mind what the organization uh, cares about, stuff like that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so speaking about um, those Terraform modules, so I, I know that there are um, some open source Terraform modules out there as well. So do you have any favorite, <laughs> basically, providers of those yeah. uh, open source modules that you can recommend? Yeah, so I think uh, from the open source community, um, there's uh, definitely a lot of work put into um, good modules as well. And uh, one uh, of the repositories, which is definitely uh, one of the most known ones and has a really high quality, I would say, uh, is the Terraform AWS modules um, uh, um, namespace uh, in, uh, in GitHub. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, we can definitely recommend and also um, where some from, from CloudPossil um, another um, uh, yeah company who has open, who who has open sourced uh, quite good um, uh, Terraform modules to use uh, for kickstarting your project. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so I'm aware of those Terraform AWS modules because I have talked to Anton Babenko ah, who is um, yeah. <laughs> who is doing them, um, and I've used them as well. And I think this is really um, a good advice to to use those available um, open source modules. Yeah. Um, it does not cover everything, of course, but it, it really gives you a jump start for the project yeah. and you don't have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. So it makes sense to to um, to use some of, some of those modules. And there is there's one thing I can <laughs> I can share with one thing that is really important uh, <laughs> is um, to pin the version of the module that you are yeah. using. So <laughs> I, I know <laughs> So Anton Bavenko uh, shared the story with me. So. So he says whenever he releases a new version of a module, he immediately gets complaints from, <laughs> from people around <laughs> the world that they're using this module and just using the latest version whenever yeah. they deploy. <laughs> this is his, basically his way to test his modules. <laughs> he just pushes out a new version and sees uh, the feedback that comes in. So yeah. you don't want to do that. You don't want to be that guy. So uh, you should definitely pin the version for the open source modules that you're using and to make sure that yeah over time you you're only changing the version if you really want to and decide to and that not just when someone else publishes a new version <laughs> that yes. is important it's definitely uh, definitely <laughs> really uh, highly um recommended to do that um yeah you can have really uh, big problems in your next rollout if you don't have that and, <laughs> yeah Absolutely. that will uh, cause unforeseen um yeah work times and um, i think that's all something everybody wants to avoid and uh, yeah so i definitely can agree with that Okay, so Rico, this was great. So we talked a lot about um, how you build infrastructure pipelines with GitLab and Terraform Cloud. So I learned a lot from you, especially about all those Terraform Cloud things that I didn't know about yet. And um, this really will help me <laughs> with my Terraform project. Um, so I think um, the, the last thing I want to highlight is that um, if you watching or listening to this podcast, and are interested in building infrastructure as code and continuous delivery and um, um, basically infrastructure pipelines as well, then I have good news for you because Demicon is hiring uh, a cloud solution architect for AWS as well. So you could become <laughs> the, the future colleague uh, <laughs> of Rico 
and join him um, building um, infrastructure as code and um, infrastructure pipelines. So you will find a link um, um, to details about this open position in the show notes. So check that out and um, apply. So as we said, Demicon is um, um, a remote-first company operating in Germany and um, um, hiring uh, in Germany and Europe. Um, so yeah, check out this open position and um, get into AWS and infrastructure uh, pipelines and infrastructure code as well. Thank you very much, Rico, um, for sharing all your experience with me, for sharing insights into your day-to-day -day challenges as a builder. Um, this was really cool. Thank you very much for that. Thanks, Andreas, for the opportunity and it was definitely great uh, having that conversation. It's uh, always interesting to get new ideas and also have different perspectives on the things we do every day. Thank you very much and also thanks for listening. Welcome to another series of The Builder's Diary by Claudonaut.